Good morning, you may be seated. Uh, welcome, it's good to see all of you here and those online, it's nice to be able to connect with you. If you are not familiar with us and our church family, it's nice to have you here. My name is John and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. As Debbie said, we are talking about the idea of being full. And that's one of those things that requires a bit of unpacking because something that's full could sometimes be useful. Sometimes something that's full is actually awkward because you don't know how to handle it. Um, if you get to know me a little bit, you'll know that I'm a coffee snob and I know that the perfect cappuccino should be brought to you in a cup that has just a slight overfullness to it. That there should be just like a, a curve of foam on the top of it. Now the problem with that is the poor person who has to bring it to you isn't allowed to spill it on their way to you and so in that context, fullness is great for the customer, but not good for the server. And so, so fullness is actually a thing that we need to unpack. You can't just say full. Especially when you're gonna talk about living a full life. What does a full life look like? I mean, you, you've all heard this sentence, you are full of, now, <laughs> you people, yeah, you are full of love. <laughs> That's not thought to those of you who are laughing with thinking. You are full of grace. You are full of joy. You are full of goodness. But then often there's you are full of, and the word isn't a great word. So, so full isn't just about being full, it's also about being full of what? What is it that is filling you? What is it that makes a full life a good thing rather than the other things that we'd want to put on the end of you are full of? And so what something is full of is actually incredibly important. But that's not the only thing that's important. Another important thing is what is being filled? You know, what is it that this fullness is in? So, I, you know, I grew up as a boy in the playgrounds of a school. And, and sometimes you would get asked this question, who do you think you are? You know, I mean, I don't know if there was a girl equivalent of school or that, but there was a, you know, the boy, who do you think you are? Now, the person asking that question is not wanting you to answer that question. They're not looking for you to unpack to them who you are. And so you can't really answer that question in that moment. But the truth is, I've also sat across from a pastoral counselor or a psychologist, and they've said to me, who do you think you are? And it's, it's almost as difficult to answer that question as the who do you think you are question. Even when you are being actually invited to ask that question. Because, because the truth is I'm not just one thing. I'm lots of things. I, I'm a whole life. 
And so it's really important if we, if we look at what a full life looks like to understand what the life looks like, not just what it's full of. And then, of course, you have the problem of what happens next. Now, once a thing is full, what happens next? You know, we go back to that full cup of coffee. What happens next? You know, does the poor waiter freeze because, because my boss is going to moan at me if I spill But, I, you know, what happens? And sometimes we go, well, don't, nobody move because we're now full. And we stop. Because the truth is, full for just the purpose of being full is actually pointless. Because then a life just becomes a decoration if it just has to freeze in that moment of perfection or fullness. And so it's really important if we're going to ask ourselves, what does a full life look like, to actually spend some time answering all of those questions. What are we full of? What, what do we look like and what happens next when we are full? But I want to make it even a little more challenging. I, I want to talk about a truly full life. You see, because there is, if you go onto pretty much anybody's Instagram account or TikTok, there's so many I try to keep up unsuccessfully, but you look at that life and you go, oh, that life is just so full, man. Not like my lame life. Not like my ordinary stay at home, my kids are driving me dilly, my husband is this, that. it's not, it's this beautiful, full life. But we all kind of know that it's not. That fullness is something we can pretend. But you see, God doesn't want us to pretend. God wants us to have a genuinely full life. That passage that Debbie read, I want to highlight one part of it. It talks about knowing God's love and experiencing God's love and understanding how high and wide and deep it is so that we grow to become mature, the kinds of followers of Jesus that God has called all of us to be. And it says this, I want all of that so that you may be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. I need to think about that for a moment. That, that when we are asking the question, who do you think you are? And when we're saying you are full of, what God's word is saying is, he wants us to be full to the measure of all the fullness of God. I don't know how, if you know how big that measure is. God is infinite. God does not have limits. <laughs> Imagine, just think for a moment of the fullness of something that is without limits. That's what we are called to. As God's children, that is what is on offer. That is what God is saying to us. That's the kind of life that is being offered here in this passage by God to us. A truly full life. Is that even possible? Surely a truly full life 
is only open to a few very special people. People who are super saints and have achieved some kind of religious status that actually the rest of us can only think about. We are wrong. I want to show you a picture of somebody who, who I honestly believe lived a truly full life. <laughs> yeah, old school, eh? Old school. I mean, those thick black-rimmed glasses, which have become cool again, actually, very recently. But for the last 30 years, not. That tie, it was about that wide. You see, it's, it's, isn't it hard to imagine somebody like that rather than somebody glamorous or somebody amazing? But the truth is this passage isn't about the glamour. It isn't about the fancy. It is about you and me. Paul is talking to a church full of people like us. Some rich, some poor, some educated, some uneducated, some young, some old. He's talking to us, you and me, and he's saying a truly full life is something that God wants each and every one of us to live. Listen to what he says as he opens up Ephesians chapter four. As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned. So in these seven verses, Paul is talking about what full that he talked about previously actually looks like in the day-to-day -day of ordinary followers of Jesus' life. But you notice he's urging us. He's saying this doesn't just happen by accident. This is a kind of life that has to be intentionally lived. And so let's unpack that journey in the light of this passage of Scripture. And the first thing that Paul talks about here is the jar. He talks about that jar. And he identifies himself with this sentence, as a prisoner of the Lord then. Paul could have identified himself in lots of different ways. He could have said, as a master tent maker. He could have said, as an apostle. He could have said, as somebody who received direct revelation from God. He could have called himself a persecutor. There were all sorts of labels he could have given himself, 
But in this moment when he wants to talk about what fullness looks like, he chooses the sentence as a prisoner of the Lord then. Now, if you've been reading Ephesians, and hopefully you have, been doing your homework, uh, we've been asking you to do that, you'll notice he uses that phrase a lot in Ephesians. He keeps talking to about himself like that. Why? I think that part of that is that he's, he's realized what his core identity is. He, he, he's, he's realized, I am all of those other things. And remember, life is a journey. It doesn't just happen. You don't just know who you are and then, ah, oh, our lives grow and live and change. But he's, he's, he's come to realize that my central identity is this, that I belong to Jesus in, in a way that can only be described as I'm his prisoner. Everything about my life is defined by him. Everything about who I am is defined by this relationship, that I have a relationship with God and I live it out in a way that defines everything else about me. As it happens, he is actually a prisoner at this point. And so he, it's not a figure of speech for him, it's a reality, and, and it may have been that he had to be that so that he could learn some important lessons. As an apostle, part of his job was to travel around and start new churches all over the place, and he can't because he's locked in jail. And so he doesn't go, well, oh, the rest of my life is now useless. I can actually still be an apostle. I just can't do the traveling part. Why? Because in my core, I serve Jesus. And so I can be that thing that I thought I was out there in here, and I can share with the people in here who Jesus is. And so our identity isn't something that gets fixed forever. It's something that grows and changes. But it only stays what it needs to stay to be if we know what is at the core of our identity. If we know that whatever else I am, whatever I become in life, whatever I achieve, whatever role I play from a, in a day-to-day -day life, whether it's a, a great life or a horrendous life, at the core, my identity is, this jar is a prisoner of Jesus. This jar is there to serve and love God. And then he says something about what fills that jar. So he says, look, I'm a prisoner of the Lord then. That's my identity. You Ephesians, some of you are Romans, some of you are this, some of you are that. But remember, at the core of it, you are a prisoner of the Lord. You're a follower of Jesus. And, and, and now he says, now what must your life be filled with? And he uses the word, live a life worthy of the calling. This thing that must fill our lives, this thing that must, we must brim over with, this fullness of God, is something that he calls a calling. Now, let's go back to that 
old guy that I showed you. How, how can I make such a sweeping statement about somebody? Well, let me just tell you about him. He was born into a relatively poor family. His mom was a preschool teacher and his dad was a carpenter. Um, they put everything in to helping him achieve a degree in engineering. And he eventually did. It took him a little longer than the four years it was supposed to, but he eventually got there. He also, as part of that journey, became the South African University's welterweight boxing champion. Uh, he also played rugby uh, for UCT. He ended up building factories and smelting um, chrome and vanadium and things like that. He helped to start three different churches in three different towns as he went on his journey. He was a fantastic father. He, he cared for his family well and he brought his children up well. He was a great grandfather. He never was a great, great grandfather. But he, or a great-grandfather, but he was a great-grandfather. But he was an ordinary person. He struggled. He faced tragedies in his life. He lost a child. He failed sometimes at work. He missed opportunities to become wealthy. But his life was full and I know that because he was my dad. And so I got to watch, not as somebody looking at an Instagram thing, but I got to watch every day how, how this person who never, ever had angels come down and tell him what his calling was, who would never describe any idea that God revealed something to him in a spectacular way. His life was a calling because of something that happened to him in grade 10. His history teacher led him to Jesus. And that changed everything about his life. And after that, he knew he was called. You see, here's, here's one of the problems with calling. When most Christians hear the word calling, they think pastor or they think missionary, and they go, well, you guys. But you see, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying every one of you has a calling. I love the sign for calling. It's a tap on the shoulder. It's a tap on the shoulder. It's not, it's not big lights and massive revelations. And, and, and when it's God calling a group of people, it's a tap on everybody's shoulder. And so Paul is saying that this calling, just like Harry John, I mean, my dad's name was Harry. True story, that is a terrible name. <laughs> we called him John, by the way. But he lived a life worthy of a calling. He didn't get it right 100% of the time. Sometimes he did things for God that in hindsight maybe 
No, I want to I don't say you shouldn't have done, but just to be honest here, I came across a, a, an A4 pad the other day while I was cleaning stuff out, and it has a whole lot of his sermons written out on it because he used to preach from time to time. I didn't really want to go to church with my dad was preaching because <laughs> he was boring. <laughs> but he lived a life worthy of a calling. Because, because whether he was being the builder of a factory or the father of a family or the grandfather of a family or a person helping in a church or, or, or anything, his life was defined by the fact that he became a follower of Jesus when he was in grade 10. And so let's, let's spend a few moments asking ourselves some questions about ourselves and our calling. So Paul says that you have a life. Now then, you followers of Jesus, live a life worthy of a calling. So often, we think we don't have a life. You know, we look at Instagram and we go, I haven't got a life. No, no, you have a life. You are alive. You are breathing. You have been given the gift of being alive. And do you know where you got that gift? You didn't accidentally get it. I know some people grow up, you know, with that thing. Oh, no, I was an accident. Colleen and I planned to have three children, I mean two children, and then we had three. And, 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 and sometimes we tease Rebecca. We say, you were an accident. And then we quickly say, no, you weren't. You see, because this life that you have right now was given to you by the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one who is over all and, as Paul says, in all and through all. Your life is a gift to this world from God. And, and if you spend your life thinking about the other things that define your life, and because a lot do, and that's okay. But if somehow you've convinced yourself those overshadow the gift of life that you have been given by God, you have missed the mark. You see, it is the life that matters, not where it is lived or what it looks like. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He's in jail. Think about how we think about prisoners. Just for a moment. I mean, let's be honest, not good. Oh, that person was a prisoner. Oh. But Paul's going, it, it doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what my life looks like. It doesn't matter where my life is. Point is this, my life was given to me as a gift from God. We all have moments where we just don't believe that. Where we just say, my life is too hard. And it may be because we've allowed it to become empty or because somebody else has come and smashed the thing and it's in pieces. But hear this, that if you are a follower, of, if you're a human being, 
was going to say if you're a follower of Jesus, no. If you're a human being, your life has been given to you by the God of the universe. It's a gift. So now, Paul says, if, if you've got this thing, if you've got this most precious of any gift that anybody has, this vessel that may be ugly, may be a bit cracked, may be broken, that's okay, because it comes from God. The second thing is, is understand there is worth here. Not only is it worth, is there worth because God created it, I mean, obviously it is, God who can do anything made your life. The master craftsman of life made your life. And so, so it is inherently, amazingly valuable. But worth isn't just in the original value. It's also in what gets done with it. You, you, you know when you get that cappuccino and it's got amazing latte art on the top? That's marketing. That's marketing. That, I mean, I'm all for good latte art and thanks to our guys at the back there. But if there's a rubbish cup of coffee underneath it, it's worthless actually. It's just marketing. Except if you the latte art champion then it's worth something. But for the rest of us, it is worthless because of what needs to come out of it, what needs to be put into it. And our worth, Paul says here, emerges when we begin to live our lives a certain way. It's already there, God has given it to us. But for people to understand that worth and for us to understand our own worth and for us to live it out, we need to live a life worthy. And then he says some things like, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now that's not an exhaustive list. There are other lists in the Bible. The fruit of the Spirit describes what a life full of the Spirit looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And so it's, it's, it's no good having this externally perfect and worthful life if we are not on a journey of filling it. Deb's referred to it. If there's something you need to get out, do that. Go on a journey with God and say, Lord, help me to, to not just have a life that looks worthy and not just have a life that is inherently worthy because you gave it to me, but Help me to be on a journey of living a life that, that changes who I am and is filled with worth. That list, if I could apply that list to my dad, uh, he fills in quite a few of those, but humble would be the number one thing I would describe him as. He was very gentle despite having been a boxer, which is weird. But you see, the worth wasn't just in what God made him, but in what he gave back to God. And that's what Paul says, we've got to live out that worth. And then the calling. 
the calling. You may be sitting here going, God has never given me lights, so I don't have a calling. You are wrong. You are wrong. You got your calling the day you said to Jesus, be in me. That doesn't mean he may not tell you from time to time, do this or do that or go there. Paul's life was full of those moments where God said to him, go there, be brave and take this risk. But at no point did God say to him, go to jail. He just found himself there because he was following Jesus. A calling isn't some spectacular sign it is of life lived for a reason. And that reason is for us a God-given reason. An eternal reason. Not just a transitory reason. If God is telling you, young man, you have to marry the most beautiful girl in the world, it's probably not. But if he fills you with who he is, when you find that girl, she will be the most beautiful girl in the world. Why? Because it's what God does in us, not what the outside does to us. But this calling, this thing that every single one of us has been given to live our life defined by who God is, whether we're a school teacher or a doctor or a pastor or a sign language interpreter or a housewife or an, a retired person or an unemployed person. If we're a follower of Jesus, this calling is something that we live out but we also, Paul makes us sure to understand is we have to live it with other people. Because he goes on to, to say, listen, please, as you live this worthy life, do it together. Be one in spirit. Be one in, 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 in unity. Let there be peace among you. Why? Because we need to be filled up. And sometimes we get a hold of it. Sometimes our cup gets shattered. And, 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 and usually God uses his community to put it back together. Sometimes we've been so busy pouring out that we've become empty. And God needs someone else to come along and go, hey, here's some of mine. I'm really overflowing at the moment. We can't live this calling, this amazing, beautiful calling, this calling to live fullness on our own. You see, we are called to all the fullness. You and me, us ordinary, ordinary people. We are called to all the fullness. Because we're amazing? No. Because there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See, that's what we are for. That's what you and I are full of. God and his love and his goodness and his justice and his righteousness and his salvation. That's a high bar. <laughs> Seriously, John, you are dreaming. I'm not. 
I know it's hard, but I'm not dreaming. And Paul, I think, as he looks at his congregation in Ephesus and goes, I wonder how many of these have listened to this prayer and gone, I can't. And I can prove I can't because right now I'm not full. I messed up yesterday. I'm going to mess up tomorrow. I can't. Well, I love how Paul ends. He ends by saying, to each of us, grace has been given. To each of us, grace has been given. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack what that grace that we've been given looks like. But you see, you and I have been given this amazing identity. Your identity is not in you or where you come from or what you've achieved. Your identity is a gift that God has been given to that God has given to you because you have a life that he gave to you. It's not defined by where you are right now or the job you have or don't have or the, the status. It is, your identity is defined by the God who created you. Your life is, is where you are right now. And your job isn't to do everything you can to change it. You should try and change it if it's not great. But not for the sake of making it better, for the sake of living out this calling. Because you are worthy. You are. But you must live out your worth. You must ask God to change you so that you can become as worthy as you already are. And you do that by living out your calling. And then in the end, what happens is fullness. But not our own internal selfish fullness, but the fullness of Jesus Christ himself that overflows from us as individuals and us as a family community and changes the world because we are full of all of the fullness of Jesus and who he is in us. Lord, as we explore our callings, as we explore our own lives, as we explore the container, and as we explore what the container is full of, and as we strive to live out this incredible identity you've given to us, may we live a life worthy. And Lord, may we constantly know that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And may we live it together in unity because of who you are and how we can serve you. In Jesus' name, amen.